Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. As we get older and become empty nesters, one question naturally arises. Should we downsize to a smaller house? It's clear we don't need all that space or the continued expense and time it takes to maintain a large family home. But we still love the idea of living on our own. Where can we go? Better call Sherry. <laughs> In today's episode, we call on Sherry Kunis, an award-winning author and a recognized authority on home construction, who explains the mass shift from expensive suburban and urban housing to smaller, more affordable homes. Sherry, the author of 10 books, has written on a wide array of housing topics from the growing movement in tiny houses to the latest trends in prefabricated, energy efficient and sustainable homes. In her latest recently published book, Bigger Than Tiny, Smaller Than Average, Sherry offers examples of small house options around the country. She'll talk today about what kinds of consumers are driving the small housing movement. In some cases, driven by a desire for a different lifestyle, other cases compelled by a need to create a smaller environmental footprint. As we move forward this shape-shifting pandemic, Sherry will also describe the shift among homeowners toward more practical spaces, including accessory dwelling units known as ADUs, and innovative designs that can make smaller houses feel larger than they are. Whether you're thinking about buying, building, or renovating a smaller home, Sherry will inspire you with a dazzling range of ideas and options for your next living space. So now it's time to meet our guest, Sherry Kunis. Sherry, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, we we, we met uh, for the uh, uh, benefit of our audience. Sherry and I met years ago when I was real estate editor at Newsday. Uh, I left that uh, position years ago, but... But I've been uh, keeping touch with Sherry virtually, watching her uh, her books come out, and watching uh, she's got a very uh, uh, vibrant email list, and I'm, I'm on it, so I get to hear all her her, her blogging and her t- uh, commentary about lots of things. So, so before we start, Sherry, want to just talk a little bit about yourself, about your career. How did how did you you know people decide to you know uh, gravitate towards certain niches? Yours is housing. How did you get there? Yeah, it's kind of a, an unusual story. People are always fascinated. I mm-hmm. had a uh, undergraduate degree in education, mm-hmm. and I decided when I got out of college, I didn't want to be a teacher. So I went to get a degree in speech pathology. And while I was going to graduate school, I put myself through school and I worked in the fashion industry for mm. years, and I was doing really, really well. And then I decided to go on when I graduated with from Columbia and get a, a doctorate. And meanwhile, huh? I was doing really well in the in the fashion industry. And so I dropped out of my program. And my husband and I bought this big house that needed a major renovation. And so I didn't have time to work as an executive in the fashion business. So I took a sabbatical to build my house. And I knew nothing about home construction. So I Hmm. took out every book from the library and I decided when I got finished, I would write a book to help all those other people that were in the same position as I was. 
And luckily for me, I got that book published. It was called From Sandcastles to Dream Houses. Mm-hmm. And I expected to go back into the fashion industry. And then I got a call from a, another publisher and asked me to write two more books. Wow. And I had young children and it was just a really nice situation for me. So my first book that I wrote was about everything about the home, mm-hmm. about roofing, siding, windows, doors. And I got a whole education self-taught. And while I was doing that, a friend of mine was building a modular home and I went to watch it and I thought it was magic. This house blew through the mm-hmm. air and it was set in one day. And so when it was time to write my second book, I wrote a book on modular mansions because every time I mentioned to anybody about modular, they said, oh, those are those tacky little houses. Right. And so I picked the largest houses I could and did that book. But then I started to see that there were other types of prefab. And so I wrote the next book about seven different types of prefab. And I fought with my publisher to get the name Prefabulous. They thought it was kind of silly. And I ended up doing another four, five books (laughs) under that title. And all of the books that I started doing were just becoming more energy efficient, more sustainable. I just started seeing that things were moving in that direction. And so every book that I did was becoming more efficient. And I, uh, just a short story, I got Robert Redford to write the forward for my early books. And it was like a year process getting to him. (laughs) And, but he loved my books and he ended up doing the forwards for, for other books. And when when he stopped, he was retiring. He said, I hope you don't mind if I don't. I decided nobody could fill that, that space. So I never had a forward from anybody after that. Wow. I have just kind of evolved. Somebody asked me, how do you get your ideas? Do you ever get blocked? And I say, no, it's, I get the ideas as life goes on. And as I see those, this evolving change. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that, um, uh, so two things strike me as I listen to your story, which is a great one. I really appreciate hearing that. I don't think, I, I don't think I heard your full story ever before. But um, so the first thing is that, uh, you know, as I listen, you know, I'm, uh, you know, my show is 45 forward. And so it deals generally with the second half of life. But but basically, you know, when I, I listen to young people who worry about what am I going to be? What am I going to do? It's just like, <laughs> stop worrying. You know, you're going to be something you never anticipated. I mean, life evolves in ways you never expect. Obviously, there's some intentionality. I mean, you do something and you say, well, Okay, that works. Or hmm, that's interesting. I didn't see that coming, and you and you and you pick up on it. Um, but but that's you know you know I just want people to kind of relax and and just sort of listen to their self, listen to what their 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 voices are telling them and how they're doing things. And I guess the other thing is that that um, starting with your first book is that I feel that one of the problems in our um, you know, uh, house centric, you know, home ownership oriented society is that, you know, we, we want to encourage people to buy homes, but most first time homeowners, and I included myself in this, know nothing about how to take care of a home, know nothing about houses or what to do with it. You know, so sometimes I feel like you should, along with getting a mortgage, you should, you know, for first time homeowners, you should have like a course, like, no, you need to take a course how to take care of your home. Because you know, because it really, you know, that's a lot of 
<laughs> expenses people don't expect. Well, they look at their mortgage. It's like, yeah, your mortgage is important, but your maintenance and what it costs it to keep a home in shape. That's also a big cost. Yeah. Most of my books are very attractive. And so people think of them as tabletop books, but mm-hmm. they are very educational. Yeah. And I try to write things that people it will help them to build their house, to renovate their house, things that they need to have to make their life healthier and more comfortable. Right. And so uh, that's a big thing. And there's a there's still that education part of my life. And so, which has not been wasted and I write everything in a simple way so that everybody can understand it and not be intimidated and be able to make their house a better, a better place to live. Right. Yeah. Uh, We'll talk about the, the, your latest book in a minute, but, um, but just give us a little bit of background about, so you followed lots of movements in housing. And I think when I was um, covering real estate, you know, many years ago, I mean, it seems that there are ships, you know, so people, you know, get bigger houses and then they want them bigger and they want more space and they want to connect to the outside and they want to, you know, um, have open space and so forth. But it seems clear to me that, as you pointed out, that there has been, you know, a progressive movement, you know, in recent years toward, well, the, the one movement that people are intrigued by is tiny houses. But you you broaden that to smaller houses. But but talk a little bit about this movement. You know, how do we get there? What's driving it? You know, what are people looking for? I think um, people are more interested in in activities today than and and going on with their life than spending their whole life taking care of a house. Right. And uh, particularly, boomers are they are younger today than they were. My mother was. 70 years old and she was an old lady wearing old mm. lady clothes and was living in a Florida uh, old people's community. <laughs> right. And today we are all, many of my friends are in their seventies and we are still doing the same things we did years ago. I would never think about living in a senior community, not that there's anything wrong with it, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't relate to that. And I'm still working full time. And so I think that uh, the boomer, uh, the older population, they still want to live among other people. They want um, they want something different than they had years ago. They mm-hmm. they lived in suburbia. Now they want to live in the country or they want to live in the city. They don't want that brown furniture that they bought that they were going to keep forever. So right. they want to do something different. And then there's the millennials who are graduating with massive school loans with um, they're getting married later, they're having fewer children and they don't need the space um, to buy a huge house. So they can't afford it. So they want a smaller house. They don't want to spend a lot of money on energy. Um, this, this whole group of kids are probably the most environmentally conscious children that have been brought up in this country. They grew up with filling stations in high school for their water bottles and um, and they're concerned about the earth. And mm-hmm. so they are also very environmentally conscious and want a more environmentally uh, pleasant house. Yeah. So um, those are basically the two groups that are, are the biggest um, uh, buyers of homes, of homes today. And they all want small houses. And unfortunately, there's a shortage of them. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, I, I think also as 
well, speaking for the the older of the, these two multiple generations, um, uh, I, I think you know, especially as you know, your family leaves, you know, when you become empty nesters, you know, you kind of realize like as as you're living day to day, it's like, okay, we're really using three rooms, <laughs> you know, we're not using like seven rooms, you know, so we don't need all that space, and we could actually be more comfortable. Uh, in a smaller space. And I think also, right, I mean, as, as you get older, the reality of climbing stairs becomes an issue. So people want to live on one level often, right? Yeah. The tiny house you asked me about earlier, I think that it's fascinating to watch how these houses are built and how they use the space. And I think they're very good for a certain part of the population. But for most people, they're not very practical. They're not code compliant. They are the definition of a of a tiny house is it's on wheels, so it's mobile. Oh, I didn't realize and that. Okay. It has a, a composting toilet and uh, water tanks, and a lot of people are not interested in living that way. I had a house in my current book that just came out that's 460 square feet, but it can't be defined as a tiny house because it is uh, code compliant. It has a basement, and it's built to survive storms and you know hurricanes and so it's not the size it's actually what i what i am most appreciative of is the safety issue and the comfort issue if it's a small house that it be comfortable and compliant with the neighborhood and also um, there was a t an article in the Times not that long ago that said people don't want the tiny houses in their community so finding right. a place to put them is also an issue. Right. So I wrote this book, Bigger Than Tiny. Um, that was actually what I was uh, referring to, that it's maybe a little bit bigger than a tiny house, but they're smaller than average. Right, right. Yeah, I think that that's, again, people get um, fixated on certain ideas, you know, so a tiny house, yes. I mean, I think that, um, well, it's interesting. I didn't know about the, the mobility aspect of it and the fact that you could have a a 460 square foot house that's not considered a tiny house. Um, but I, I think that the, uh, the, the compliance issue, yeah, the zoning issues is, is an issue for a lot of people, um, a lot of communities. So they don't want, you know, they don't want, you know, whatever you want to call them, average size house next to a tiny house. Right. I think it basically, you know, makes for, makes for a weird neighborhood, I guess. <laughs> But, but um, you know, I still think that people, you know, it's still a, a broad trend. Um, uh, we're going to have a break in a couple minutes. But before we do, um, I, I'd like to talk about some just some examples of, of things you've come across in different parts of the country. I guess you mentioned to me in a previous conversation that this sort of this was a westward east movement, right? It, it started really on the West Coast, right? Yes. Well, ADUs, uh, accessory dweller units, actually started in Vancouver. Uh -huh. They were called laneway houses because in Vancouver, they have lanes where the cars come through, not the actual street, but they it's a back street where wow. they, they bring their car. And they were very, very popular there for a long time because real estate is quite expensive there. So they started there and then they have evolved into... Um, ADUs in the United States. Right, right. So for just, I mentioned in the intro, but so accessory dwelling units is what the ADUs stand for, yeah. 
And there's a bunch of different ways that you could do this. They could be part of the house. They could be over a garage. But what is popping up quite frequently right now are separate units, either where the garage was or just on a piece of the property. And they are a great place for for the children of of uh, adults to live so that they have some privacy and also for elderly parents that want to live close to their family. And it, it's a really wonderful um, new concept. And uh, unfortunately there's resistance in some places, but where they have started putting them, they're very successful. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I think that they're, um, you know, they're, the, the zoning that you know, people are concerned and, you know, people don't like change. So having changes like this, you know, um, gets people on alert. Um, and yet I have noticed, um, you know, and, and even some of the, the, you know, well, it, what's clear is, is wherever we're living today, there needs to be a flexibility of housing because mm-hmm. we're not the same society we were 50 years ago. And, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, what literally one house doesn't fit all sizes of families or any uh, needs of different families. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, we, the, the key is providing flexible options to people. Um, so we're going to talk about that a lot more. I have a, a lot more. I want to talk about that with you, um, but we're going to take a quick break. Um, but when we come back, we'll be talking much more with Sherry Kunis. Uh, we'll be right back folks uh, much more. So don't go anywhere. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. We live in a fully connected world and share digital information every day in our businesses, with our money, and even our health. I should know. My name is Tyler Cohen Wood, and I'm a top cybersecurity expert and former U.S. Defense Intelligence Agency Senior Intelligence Officer. I know many technology secrets that keep our world safe, but I have a secret few people know. I suffer from a rare autoimmune disease that has no conventional cure. According to the National Institutes of Health, as many as 25 million Americans suffer from a rare undiagnosed condition. People with rare or hard to diagnose diseases often spend years being shuffled from doctor to doctor and specialist to specialist, feeling as if they're in an endless loop of siloed care that rarely gives answers to unexplained conditions. In 2018, I became one of these people. At the time, I had no idea that I would use my cybersecurity background to save my own life or that I was about to go through a tumultuous medical journey that would change the course of my life and in turn, give me the opportunity to bring together my cybersecurity knowledge and my patient experience to change the business of digital health. On My Connected Life, Digital Health Disrupted, you'll hear how to better understand and improve your patient experience and keep your connected life safe. We'll talk about the latest digital trends that can keep the security of the entire healthcare ecosystem and our data secure and within our control. The business of digital health is our business and it's time we learn to own it. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with housing expert and author Sherry Kunis, whose most recent book is Bigger Than Tiny, Smaller Than Average. Before we continue, I wanted to let you know you can find out much more about uh, Sherry by going to her website, www.sherrykunis.com. That's Sherry, S-H-E-R-1-R-I, Kunis.com. And you can check out her gallery of books, her recent talks, and her upcoming events. So before the break, we were talking about just the need for lots of different options in housing. And I think I just wanted to mention, pick up on that, which is that you know, I, I think that, you know, it's very clear that, you know, we, well, America has always been in a country of mobility. So people moved around a lot and we continue to do so, but families are different, you know, and I think that one of the things that we're realizing is there needs to be a flexibility of housing options, you know? So even as we talk about, um, you know, smaller houses, uh, a few years ago, I, there were a set of four houses, new houses that were built at the end of my block. And I went in and I actually did a, a short article about them. And I went into one house and I said, well, what's this room? And they said, well, that's that's a room that's a maybe room. <laughs> you know, That may be for you know an older parent. It may be for a caregiver. It may be. So I think that people are realizing that even within bigger houses, there are smaller units. And, 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 and options like that, which are becoming more important to families, you know, uh, for lots of reasons, or sometimes as, as Sherry knows, sometimes, you know, your kids come back from college and they're adults, but they're back with you. So, um, so yeah, I mean, uh, so the flexibility is an important thing and, and, and your housing, you know, and, and the kinds of options. So you started talking earlier about, um, um, uh, prefabricated or manufactured housing. And I thought, talk a bit more about that because that's, again, a lot of these terms are, are people don't really know what they mean. So why don't we let's talk about that? Sure. Well, there's, a, again, a lot of confusion about prefab construction. And you mentioned uh, manufactured housing. And that is actually, that references HUD code housing, which okay. is a little bit less of... Um, a quality than um, than code compliant house. Okay, and that would be a modular, a panelized. There are many types of prefab houses. I am a real fan personally of prefab houses. They're faster to build. They're they cost less. Um, they are um, they're more environmentally friendly. A lot of the materials can be recycled. They can work twelve months a year as opposed to the the best months for for building so there i could go on a lot about prefab housing but it's my preference um this last book that i did i covered um renovations and also site built houses because i was trying to find 
the best of the small houses under 2,000 square feet. Mm -hmm. But I'm always a real fan of prefab houses. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And w- what are some examples? Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, this is a, basically a, a radio show, so we can't show the <laughs> the um, the listeners the houses at the. But I, I do have your latest book, and it really is. It's it's not a prefab. It's, it's just a fabulous book. <laughs> it's uh it's it's full of uh, examples and illustrations, and you really lay it out, and you you know, and there's there are stories behind each of these houses which are very, you know, which are fascinating of the kinds of people who bought them and why they bought them and so forth. So just talk about a couple of examples of stories that you ran across. So one of my favorite houses was a house up in uh, Vermont. Their children went to the University of Vermont. They lived, I can't remember exactly where, but they found this house on a lake and they didn't need a big house. They only needed like a one bedroom house. And they built this house very uh, prepared for any kind of floods or anything like that. So it was really built to very high standards. And what I found interesting, and I found this with several of the houses that I covered, is that people want good quality rather Mm -hmm. than massive size. So rather Mm -hmm. than make it bigger, they had fancy fireplaces or they had great heating systems and they had great ventilation systems that made them very comfortable. So that was really um, interesting. And a lot of the, all of the houses that I covered in this book are all very energy efficient. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are, uh, there's a lot of people today that are like we spoke about earlier that are very energy conscious. And so Mm -hmm. almost every one of the houses has a very energy efficient orientation, um, HVAC system, and all of the things that make a house more um, efficient and cost less to heat it and cool. And there's actually, there's two houses that are what they call passive houses, which is a, uh, a system that comes from Germany and it's only based on energy, mm-hmm. unlike lead for homes, which is, it incorporates a lot of other factors, but passive house is only um, concerned with energy and two of the houses meet that high standard and they're, wow. and all of the houses are very attractive. And um, it was, it was really exciting to find the quality and the beauty of these houses under 2000 square feet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, well, smaller is beautiful sometimes and, and, yeah. and, and can often be. So um, I, I think you're actually right. I, you know, absolutely in terms of, and, and I th- uh, you know, people have been looking at energy efficiency for quite a while. So it's, and I think it's going to in, just intensify, right. I mean, with the, the cost of, you know, fossil fuels these days, I mean, it's, you know, people are extremely, um, you know, focused on energy costs, uh, but I think you were, you were talking about earlier about the space having extra rooms. I just looked up recently. I grew up in Queens, New York, and mm-hmm. I my house was fourteen hundred square feet, but we had a living room that we couldn't go into except if we had company. Right. <laughs> People don't build that way anymore. People are building flex spaces. It can be a uh, an office. It could be a bedroom. It can be a, a hobby room, and so the houses are being built much more intelligently. And, and especially with the new pa- with the pandemic that happened recently, they're building them with workspaces because so many people are working at home. So 
the type of space that people are, even though they're smaller, they've evolved to be much more practical. Right, right. Yeah, you, you just reminded me of funny, you know, memory of growing up. Uh, you know, I think, I think our first house was probably my parents. My parents built their first house in Long Island. And for, for its time, it was, you know, a sizable house. Okay. I think it was about, but I think it was about, oh, 2,000 square feet, you know, but a sizable basement with that too. Uh, but I remember, um, you know, talking to my mother about the living room, right? I said, how come it's called the living room? We can't live here, <laughs> right? I mean, it wasn't quite, you know, the the stereotypical, right? Right? The the uh, the old notion of you know people putting, you know, plastic over the sofa so you you know to preserve them. So yeah, you wanted to preserve them, but it, but you couldn't live in them, you know. So, and I think that that's changed. I think, and I think it was changing, but I think that the pandemic also focused on like, oh, we're spending a lot of time in our homes. We want them to be comfortable. We want the quality to be there. We want them to be flexible and, you know, be able to you know, use the space better. So, yeah, one of the things you talked about in the book about was about the um, the idea of of um, having smaller spaces, but the fact that they they felt bigger than they than they actually were. Um, how do people do that? And what what are, are there some tricks that people use in design to? Oh yeah, there's there's lots of ways. Actually, another house that comes to mind was a guy who was a he was a, had a family of four. He was a bag designer, hmm. and his house is I think a little over a thousand square feet. And he said he designed his house like he would a pocketbook. So there was a <laughs> wow. everything, and the top of the stairs he put a work space, which would have been otherwise a wasted space mm-hmm. and a little cranny for somebody else to work. So um, there are lots of ways to make a small house bigger, having light colors, having flex spaces, having um, good storage spaces so that you don't have a lot of stuff sitting around, Um, having open spaces. And what's happening a lot, um, actually Frank Lloyd Wright started this, having bigger uh, common areas and small bedrooms because mm-hmm. you're not going to spend that much time in the bedroom. So right. a lot of the houses today are the bedrooms are small and the common area is big. And the hope is that if you have kids, that they're going to spend more time with you in, th- in that space and not be sitting in their bedroom. Right. So, so there's many ways of making the house feel bigger than it is. Right. There was one house in the book that the people lived in the same size house, actually, and they built a new house with this architect who was very capable. And she designed the space so much better that they said this house felt much bigger than their old house, mm-hmm. even though it was the same square footage. Right. Because right. everybody today wants outdoor space, accessible outdoor space, which expands the living space. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's, that's an important aspect you bring up. And I think that that's in, in, I think in part, people are looking for ways to connect with nature and some, that's a good way to do it where it's really right there. And, and you can feel that ability to go back and forth. I mean, certainly, um, you know, some of the, the people I've talked to on my show have talked as, as we get older and, and even dealing with the pandemic, that one of the things that, that de-stresses people is to be able to connect with nature. So to be able to do that right outside your house, I think is an important option. Okay. Um, 
so you've talked about lots of different kinds of houses and you mentioned um, to me earlier about um, metal houses. Um, tell me about that. That's Actually, it's interesting. I just had an article written. I had a fight with them at the uh, uh, metal architecture. They hmm. usually write about commercial space, but I said, you know what? There's a lot of projects today that are residential that people are using much more metal for siding and for roofing because there's minimal maintenance and it lasts a hundred years. And so more people are using it. And I have several houses. Um, actually, there's a, a family in California. The couple was going to, they were doing a lot of traveling. And so mm -hmm. they built an ADU and it's mostly out of metal because they wanted it to be low maintenance. And they were going to rent out their house and live in the ADU, but mm. they didn't, they didn't stop really traveling very much. And so they liked the ADU so well that they were living in the ADU wow. and they haven't yet rented out their house. But a lot of the houses um, were a, a large percentage had metal roofs. And there's a house that I covered that's a passive house in Los Angeles and it's all metal on the outside. And wow. again, very sustainable. It's a passive house and very attractive and, and interesting and small. Well, so why, why haven't people done that more? So, because I, I just, you know, now I'm thinking about, um, I guess we, you know, we stay with things that we've done for a long time. So it's stick housing is very popular. It's people, builders know how to do it and so forth. But one thing that just occurred to me is, you know, I have a brother who lives in, um, in South Carolina and, um, um, during uh, a storm several months ago, a tree fell on their house and just, you know, luckily, you know, it, it cracked the main beam, wooden beam, which it didn't collapse. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think that, um, I think this is going to be an issue too, you know, having construction that is durable and resistant to severe weather. Cause I think that that's certainly around our house. We haven't, you know, changed the construction, but we, we did take out, some you know large trees that were close to the house i think uh, well fema fema wrote um several years ago during a storm one of the only houses that remained was the uh, modular house oh um interesting you were saying you know why don't more people do this um i do a lot of speaking at conferences and mm -hmm. i talk about all the advantages of prefab and somebody always asks, how if this is such a great way to build, how come everybody doesn't build this way? And I say, it's the best kept secret in America. People don't do things because they don't know about it. If they mm -hmm. knew about it, and if they knew some of the better methods of building, they would do it. And as much as they might do some research, they don't find out about enough. And, and that is always my goal is to bring these kind of subjects to people's attention. And yeah. I have convinced several people that I have given books or have bought my books, have built a prefab house. And they say, I would never, ever build a site built house again. Mm. Yeah. So well. Yeah. Well, change takes a while. You know, I think that, um, you know, as well, I think as, um, you know, it seems like now we're, we're in an inflationary period. Everything is costing more. Um, and I think including, you know, you've talked about too, the, the, the price of, of um, you know, a product of, of wood and, and the availability is, 
has the pandemic also been a real problem in terms of getting supplies to build housing? Yeah. Um, uh, the modular people are complaining that the lumber is costing more. They, they price out a house and then, you know, by the time the house is being built, the lumber has gone up. Um, so I think stick framers are having the same issue. The products are limited and, um, and it's, and the price has gone up. So, yeah, I think that's a problem. And I was, we were talking earlier that there's, there are more jobs today for students getting out of college and they're going to make more money because there's a shortage of workers and those kids are going to be looking for houses and it's going to be an issue. There's something like 140 million shortage of houses in this country. And so it's, it is a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, we still have a lot more to talk about, but um, we're going to take another short break, Sherry. Um, so, folks, uh, again, we'll, we just uh, take a quick break, uh, but don't go anywhere. We'll, we'll be right back uh, much more with Sherry Kunis, uh, author and journalist, focused on all sorts of housing. <laughs> Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Tune in to Melody Edmondson's The Space of the Waste radio program. This companion piece to her successful guidebook series, The Space of the Waste, focuses on body types and how to make your waist length flattering, no matter what your body type is. Guests include designers, merchandise managers, factory owners, and more. You'll also find out what accessories will complement your body shape and waist length. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Tune in every Friday to get your weekend kickoff early. Join the legendary G. Keith Alexander for What's Hot Harlem America. The flagship show of the new Harlem America Digital Network has something for everyone. From the latest in entertainment to empowerment, health and wellness, and more, we'll bring you a variety of fresh viewpoints, voices, and ideas. What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander can be heard every Friday at 1 p.m. in New York and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. Once again, I'm talking with housing author and journalist Sherry Kunis, um, who uh, we were talking about her latest book deals with uh, 
smaller than average houses, but uh, while she, she's been writing a lot about smaller houses, Sherry knows a lot about all sorts of things involving houses. And <laughs> one of the things we were talking about a little bit earlier, and I wanted to come back to it, was just the issue of um, you know, how much we're incorporating the idea of um, you know, maintaining houses into the houses themselves. And uh, so let's talk a bit more about that. What are, what are some of the things that are uh, you know, innovative in terms of you know, maintaining houses? Mm-hmm. Well, again, a lot of people are, are uh, using metal as mm-hmm. siding and as roofing because right. there's, there is much less maintenance and right. have um, um, different types of siding which require less maintenance than others. People don't want to be focusing their life on taking care of their house. They, again, they want to be bicycling. Young people, they want to be skiing. Older people, they want to be going to the theater and meeting with other people. They do not want to be spending their time maintaining a house. And so more and more that is becoming important. And as we were speaking earlier, they want a healthy house. They want to be comfortable in that house. And I was asking earlier, I ask a lot of people, do you know what an energy or a heat recovery ventilation system is, Mm -hmm. which keeps the house very comfortable. And most people in this country do not know what that is. Mm -hmm. And I did a book earlier on prefabulous world. And most of the houses in Europe have this because they're more concerned about about saving money on energy and also being comfortable and healthy in their home. So So tell me a little bit more about these um, ERVs. How do they work? So it goes, most of them go all the time. They can continuously work and they're kind of magical to me. They exchange the outside air with the stale air in the house, but it maintains the heat and the cool that you've already created in Mm. the house. So you're not having to recreate and uh, coolness or heat in the house. And so it's really a wonderful type of um, mechanism to have in the house. It's not all that expensive. And um, I'm surprised that more people don't use them. But most of the architects that I deal with are all very energy conscious and very savvy about the newest um, mechanisms and techniques. And so most of the houses do have them today. Right. Now, you, you, and you're, you just mentioned earlier, you know, that these um, ERVs or other sorts of things are, are more prevalent in other parts of the world. Uh, how do we stack up with other parts of the world in terms of our housing, you know, in terms of our, you know, I think that, you know, there's certainly a lot of, you know, inventiveness and creativity in America, but I think sometimes um, uh, we've been, not as creative as we could be because we didn't have to be, you know, we've had the space, we've had the resources to keep doing the same things over and over. Whereas, you know, other parts, I I suppose, especially in in Europe or in Asia where, you know, the spaces are, are more highly prized commodity. People have been, have been more creative about using it and trying different things. Yeah. Well, in this country, fuel has been fairly inexpensive. In other parts of the world, fuel's been much more expensive. So mm-hmm. people were used to putting on a sweater and not using all of the energy. Um, people in this country, they turn the thermosets up to 70 and 75. They want their house to be hot. And so 
Um, most of the places in this world, they, they keep their thermostats much lower and mm -hmm. they are much more conscious of how they build the house to require less energy. Um, a lot of people asking me about how you create energy. And the most important thing is that you save energy. And so in Europe, they are very conscious of how they orient, orient their house so that they use the best orientation so that they get the best possible rays. They use excellent windows. A lot of the um, triple pane windows that we use in this country come from Europe. Because again, that's a very important, I tell people that when you're designing your house, that's the most important thing is that you have a great envelope for your house and that you require less energy. But in this country, we've just been spoiled. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling things are about to change because energy is just getting more expensive. And, right. and it's not necessary. I mean, we can live with sweaters on or you know, opening windows to get cool air or using fans, which are much more um, efficient than using expensive air conditioning and heating. Right, right. I think we're also discovering certain things about what are healthier ways to live. Like, for example, uh, you know, um, uh, my wife in our bedroom likes a cooler bedroom than mm -hmm. I like a little bit of warmer bedroom. But we, you know, we, we've we also realize that you know there there is you know research that shows that it's better to sleep in, in cooler temperatures you know so it, the ideal temperature you know is really in the mid 60s not not 70 72 yeah. you know you're in the covers under the covers so stay there <laughs> um so i think yeah you know lifestyles are changing and i think we're, we're realizing about you know the, the intersection of health too in terms of you know um, you spend a lot of time in your house. So, you know, worry about your health, uh, worry about the quality of your products. I think people too are realizing, uh, you, you mentioned a couple times the, the notion of quality. I think that is something that's, that is, you know, a, a more, um, a broader uh, sentiment, you know, that's crosses over things. So I think people, right. I think are interested in quality housing. that's going to last, they don't want to spend time maintenance. They're interested in quality food. You know, they, you know, they don't want to eat junk, you know, mm -hmm. they'll eat less, less food, but healthier food. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's a phenomenon that's affecting, you know, a lot of sectors of our society. Yeah. No, I think you're right. Yeah. So what do you see um, coming, going forward, Sorry, Any trends on the horizon that, that you're picking up on? Um, um, in terms of, you know, housing trends, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, I think it'll go back and forth, the fourth in terms of sizes and different sizes and experimentation, but anything else that, that, uh, you see. And yeah, well, I, again, I, I think that small houses are becoming much more in demand mm -hmm. and they're not available. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there's a big push for that. I'm working on a new book and speaking to a company called Boxable. Hmm. They are building very small houses that are just very efficient, very cute, and they have a year backup to wow. houses because there's a huge demand right now. Elon Musk, like I don't know, it's probably the best kept secret, but he lives in one of these houses. Oh. And there's a huge demand for smaller living and a healthier living and 
I think all of those are really trends. Um, I think people are much more conscious. When I designed a house that was way too big um, several years ago, and my architect said, every window has to be the same size surrounding the house. And they mm -hmm. all have to be standard size. And I, since I've been working the last 20 years on these books, I find architects, they're using bigger houses on the south side of the house so that they can take advantage of solar gain. And they're using smaller houses, smaller windows on the north side mm. so that they don't lose energy and they're not getting the advantage of solar gain anyway. Wow. And so people are, are thinking more intelligently about the design of the house and what they should do, what materials they should use that are going to be, that are going to work better. Yeah. So I think that people are just becoming more educated about housing and, and hopefully they're going to be building better. Right. The houses are going to last more. Right. Right. Yeah. Another kind of, you know, evolution of intelligent design, better right. design. Yeah. Smarter yeah. design. Smarter design. And a lot of the houses, they now have uh, ways to evaluate how much energy you're using. And if you do decide to put panels on, um, how much we can give back. And so that we save money mm -hmm. on energy. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think people are much, much more conscious. And again, um, the younger people. And also, I've been dealing with a lot of um, boomers who are building these houses and they're doing their research as well and, mm. and looking for, um, better houses right. when, they had in, when they had their families. Yeah. Now you said, you said there's going to be a shortage of housing. Um, are, are people spending more time, uh, or are looking at, at designing their own houses? I, I guess part of it is finding the, you know, the, the, the space to do it, the property to do it. Um, and I guess they're, they're sometimes they're just looking in places they didn't look before, as you mentioned before, you know? Uh, so yeah, a lot of, um, yeah, so there's been a lot of variability too, in terms of location. Uh, you mentioned that a lot of smaller, sometimes tiny houses, but smaller being done in rural areas as well. Right. 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 Yeah. People are building in areas. They're becoming more popular Hudson Valley and in, in New York and, um, and the Catskills, those places are becoming more popular. They had been very dormant for a while in terms of new building, but people are starting to build. They want to, a lot of times they're working remotely so they can mm. work from home and they can work from any place. Right. So, um, I think lots of people want to build their own house or they want to rip down a house that has, that's, you know, that's crumbling or not in very good shape and just build something new. And right. So there's a big push for that. But I heard a statistic somewhere that there's like a shortage of about 144 million houses short in this country. Right. That, right. Uh, people can find houses. And then, uh, like we mentioned earlier, there are some corporations buying up these houses. Right. Uh, people can find um, houses to build so they are to buy so that they're, they're building their own houses. Right. Right. Are there any, um, just a couple of tips you give people, you know, either younger people or older people and looking at a house, like, should I buy that house in terms of yeah. construction? Well, maybe you could have a blower door test done so that you can see if the house is leaky and if you're going to be losing a lot of, of air. Um, 
make sure that that house has a good system and do a good inspection. And if you're going to build a house, do your homework and make sure that this house um, lives up to all of the things you want. And right. my books are really helpful for people not to push my books. No, no. I, 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 we, we, to people in finding the best systems and, yeah. and ways to build. Yeah. Yeah. So we are actually, unfortunately, coming to the close of the program. So I would like to you know, thank you so much, Sherry, for, for all your, your great conversation. Um, so, and if people want to, you know, reach you or get information about your books, what, what is the best way to reach you and, and to get your books? They can check my website, mm-hmm. uh, com, And my books are sold almost every place that books are sold, um, independent bookstores, as well as online, Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Books a Million. And um, almost everybody carries them. So right. I would encourage you to look for them. And they're also in a lot of libraries. So yeah, uh, great. become great. educated before you build. It's, it's, it's a very big project. Well, I think that's what people are realizing, that, that education really is a key in, in housing as well as a lot of other endeavors of life. So that's great. Well, listen, again, folks, uh, tell your friends, if they miss my conversation with Sherry today, you can listen to it on a podcast on voiceamerica.com. Just search for my show, 45 Forward. You can also listen uh, on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or go to my website, roelresources.com, and just click on the 45 Forward tab. Um, so be sure to join me next Monday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern time, when I'll be doing an, an encore show on Memorial Day with Scott Fulton, a researcher, innovator, and engineer by training, who talked to me about how millions of us could increase our health span, health, living healthy ages to age 95 with just some basic education. There's that word, Jerry, education, mm-hmm. on how interconnected our bodies are with our lifestyle choices. So until then, folks, keep moving forward, 45 forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.